Hey, this is Dustin, one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to listen to one of our sermons. We hope that this sermon encourages you, inspires you, and compels you towards a closer walk with Jesus and one another. If you would like to learn more about Grace Bible Church, contact us or partner with us financially, you can connect with us at www.gbc.life. Welcome to our church family. We hope that you enjoy the message. Uh, here's why we're having this conversation. They're here to help have a conversation about adoption and foster care, about advocacy and compassionate care and wraparound care. And here's why. Uh, we did not want to put our pro-life banners back in the drawer until the next election season. Instead, uh, we wanted to continue this conversation about how we can be a church that comes alongside women and families in crisis so that we can make sure that we are continuing to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. Now, I don't know if you remember, but as, as a church, we are unashamedly pro-life. And when we were in the gospel and politics conversation back in the fall, gosh, pa Pastor Dustin's words uh, have stuck with me. Uh, if you'll remember, he said, he said this. You ready? And he said it, not me. So he's stepping on your toes this morning. He said, we, we kid ourselves if we think we are pro-life because we drag ourselves into the voting booth every four years and we check the box next to the candidate who totes our pro-life values. And he went on to say that obedience in these areas, these very polarizing cultural and political issues, especially the pro-life issue, he said that obedience in these areas isn't just about having the right biblical view. It's about also having the right gospel response. In other words, we're not standing on the right side of an issue just for believing the right thing. A gospel-centered Jesus follower must also respond the right way. And this is a biblical truth regardless of the issue that we're talking about. And so we as a church don't just want to be those who hear the word of God but fail to do the word of God. Uh, we don't want to be a people who listen to the scriptures but don't actually put the scriptures into practice, which is why we wanted to have a conversation this morning about what we believe are some of the ways to engage, not just in being pro-life, but as I said, being pro-women in crisis, pro-families in crisis. And so this morning, this isn't a political conversation, but a profoundly Christian one that seeks to fulfill in the greatest way possible the call to love God and to love people, especially those who are most vulnerable among us. And so this morning, we're going to tell some stories. Uh, we wanted to ask some questions. Team Taylor and Team Campbell, they've been engaged at some level of orphan care and fostering and adoption. Uh, some of it was licensed and within the boundaries of the legal demands. Some of it was simply compelled by the love of God and divine opportunities. But we also wanted to frame up a theology of adoption for us as a church. We wanted to talk about adoption not necessarily being a human way to meet a human need, but how deeply biblical and theological the theme of adoption is and how it runs throughout all of the scriptures. And so this morning, we want to talk about adoption, about fostering, about compassionate care, about advocacy for these things. And as you walked in, you saw a couple tables out there. We have different organizations here from around our community and around our state to help us, to bring some information for us. Uh, here's, here's what we're not entirely sure about. We're not entirely sure how God may call you into this kind of advocacy and compassionate care, or if he will, but we do know that this conversation is very <laughs> close to the heart of God. The final disclaimer, and then we'll get into some conversation with these dear friends of ours. We understand that this morning we really are only able to offer one side of the story. 
one perspective, one unique lens from the side of the adoptive and the fostering families. And we know that we can't possibly provide the fullest conversation we'd like to have. This morning, we don't have any adopted children or foster kids up on the stage, nor do we have any mothers or fathers who are brave enough to make an adoption plan for their children for whatever reason that led them in that direction. But know this, that as we, Grace Bible Church, continue to become a church that is better at seeing the needs in our community and moving in the direction of meeting those needs, we want to keep these conversations happening for the good of our cities, for the glory of our God. Okay, just because we're taking a break from the book of Acts does not mean that the word of God does not have something to say about this conversation about adoption. And so I think we have a video that I'm going to have played. Okay, I'm going to hand this off to Pastor Keith. And Keith, I'd like for you in just a moment to kind of frame up for us this kind of conversation about how adoption isn't something we stumbled into, but something that is, man, all across the scriptures, and it's really the story at the heart of the gospel. But first, gosh, a couple of years ago, five years ago, Dustin was actually preaching through the book of Acts, and he introduced a little bit of Pastor Keith and Don's story. So let me play this quick video for you, and then Keith's going to introduce himself and this theology of adoption. I got to talk to a man this week, a pastor friend of mine. His wife is in China, finishing up an adoption to bring home their sixth adopted child. How cool is that? But they have a particular ministry in their family that they adopt special needs children. So they're in China finalizing adoption on their sixth special need child to bring that child home. And while mama is out of the house, one of their other children, Anna, gets deathly sick and has been in Orlando Hospital. And dad, a pastor friend, he's been by the bedside begging for his own daughter's life all week. And we think we got problems. Some of y'all do. Somebody on the road with you has something so heavy in their life. But even if they tried to explain it, they wouldn't even know where to start. You're worried about Dow Jones and GOP. And there's some real burdens in here. That friend that I was talking about, a pastor friend, that's Keith Campbell. He's the lead pastor at First Baptist Church of Lake Placid. That'll hit home, won't it? Matter of fact, we, we've been praying for him the last two services, Saturday night, 9 o'clock. He texted me right after the last service and said, Anna's doing better. We're headed home. Amen. Amen. Bad timing. <laughs> I ca- catch yourself and, hey, it's all yours. Golly. <laughs> so, um, right? Golly, man, my throat is closed. It was closing up here, and now it's just completely tight. Um, so that, when I saw that, I mean, that was just a, I can relive that moment. Um, but when I saw that, that you guys were praying for us and, and, uh, I got, I got sent the message and it just, my, my heart was just overwhelmed with love and Dustin and I didn't get together on a regular basis or anything, but I'll tell you, man, my heart was tied to him because of prayer and then my heart was tied to you as a church because I love your leaders and, and then I, I, and I love you and I, and because of what you were doing for us and, and the 
just a wrap of what you guys did for us. So thank you. If you were here in that time, 2016, um, it made a huge impact on me and my family. Thank you. Um, we started at the beginning. So a theology of adoption is um, maybe not readily seen right away because we get married to the gospel as this rescue initiative went on our behalf. And, and too often times the gospel turns into a rescue initiative where I say a prayer or I walk through a process and then I'm good, I go live my life. And that's not really what the gospel communicates. And so in the beginning, you see God making all this stuff. He's just, he's making stuff by words, by his will alone. He's just making stuff. And then he gets to this moment in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, where God has a conversation with himself, the, the Trinity. He just tells himself, let us make man in our image. Let us do this. Let's, let us make man in our own, our own likeness. Okay, so basically saying, let's make some kids. I mean, because I think of my own kids when I think of likeness, right? I mean, it's like, it's like he's putting his stamp on us. It's like he, he, a picture of him. And so then verse 27 says that's what happens. So he made them, both male and female, he created them. And so every one of us were designed from the very start to be image bearers of the living God, that we would have his stamp different than everything else in creation you know nothing else looks like us nothing else is the same as us nothing else is as special to god as us like this is a a huge element of our of our history walking through genesis and then the enemy of god shows up in the garden with our and and, and asks a question to our counterparts adam and eve and i'm paraphrasing but if you don't know the story, go back and read, read Genesis, what happened to humanity. But Adam and Eve get faced with, uh, with the enemy of God, and the enemy of God asks, asks this question, will you really die if you eat that fruit like God to told you? Would you really die? No. God just kind of, he knows that you'll know what he knows if you eat that fruit, and you'll become like God. And so that was enough temptation right out there to our, to our counterparts. And so they ate, the, they ate the fruit, and you probably know the story. They eat the fruit, and, and, and then humanity is immediately separated and felt shame for their action. Because they knew they got knowledge, but they got no divinity, right? They didn't become like God. They just got the knowledge. And so there's this, this they, went into, they went into hiding. And, and that's kind of where humanity was left because sin entered the garden and sin entered man's heart. And sin then has traveled generation after generation. If you're sitting here this morning and you don't know where Jesus fits, um, this, is, this is the greatest part of the gospel and the story. Is we're separated from God and God handles the situation on his own. And so he sends his only son, Jesus, both God and man, to come and to perfectly redeem what had been lost. Because here's the thing, sin had a penalty with it. When sin entered the garden and man chose to sin, sin brought with it a debt of death. Romans 6.23 says that, that the wrath of, of, of this sin is going to lead us to death. And so not just a, a physical death, but a spiritual death. And so God sends Jesus into the story, our story, to take on all the punishment of that sin, of your sin, of my sin. He dies a punishing death for that, and then he resurrects from the grave, 
victorious over death and that sin, yours and mine. And here's the beautiful part. Only by faith does this grace extend to us. You don't work for it. It's not a place where you say, well, how, what do you expect of me, God, if I'm going to be a part of your family now? And, I mean, there's, a, there's an element of us walking out discipleship. That's why we're here this morning. But we come because of faith. It's by this, this grace that God, God saves us. And then, and then Paul describes it. Now you're thinking, well, what does it have to do with adoption? We get to Ephesians and, and, and different letters that Paul writes. But Ephesians specifically, I want to share with you this morning. Um, of, uh, yeah, it's perfect. It's on the screen. Ephesians 1.4 says this. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us to the beloved. So, so here's the thing. Sin orphaned us, and, and the beauty of who God is, he chose to adopt us. This is God's word. This isn't even our word. It's the, the word in, in the Greek is huiathesia, uh, and it's a word that means to legally take on as a son. Now, that's daughters, too. So this is an idea that God is putting forth that, that listen, Paul's saying, I'm adopting you into my family. Verse 11 goes on to say, in him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That, those first couple words, in him we have obtained an inheritance. God doesn't rescue us and then just leave us on the shelf and say, I'll deal with you later. He rescues us and he gives us an inheritance. He, he says, I want you to be a part of my forever family. I'm not just saving you as a human being to be a little bit better. I'm saving you to be my son and to be my daughter. And so this is kind of the theology of God to adopt those who are separated and far from him, those who are vulnerable, those who are are hurt. And so then we get to the letter of James, the first, and I'm winding things up right now. So James, the very first, well, probably the first book of the New Testament, to, to, it's probably written somewhere but in, in, before 49 AD. When the first letters to hit the church, the church is dispersed, and it gets to this point of what's the most important thing? Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So what we've taken on as a theology of adoption is God adopted us in. We weren't naturally divine. We weren't, we weren't Jesus. We needed a Jesus. And then he brought us in as sons and daughters. And now, to, and, and we're image bearers, regardless of what we do from there. We're, we're restored as a new image, a new creation back to God. And I look at this work and I think, how could it be better displayed than, than us as churches getting in the work of vulnerability with widows and orphans? God sees that as pure religion. So whatever level we're a part of it, whether or not we're fostering, adopting, wraparound care, sending a note to somebody to encourage them, no matter what we're doing, we're, if we connect ourselves to that, God sees that as pure and, and undefiled religion. You know, you, you mentioned, <clears throat> I want to give you guys a chance to jump in if you'd like to, but you mentioned that sin orphans us. And I, I knew that theologically, but like just a reminder that God created a world with children. 
Adam and Eve were the first sons and daughters of his forever family. And sin came in and orphaned every human ever since. And we so often start the story in Genesis chapter 3, but man and his needs are not the center of the story. God and his glory is, and God and his glory in Genesis 1 was a, was a, happily fam, uh, was a family happily ever after. And so the beautiful part of the gospel is that God is restoring and redeeming to us what was broken, our imageness, making it whole again, and now giving us the good news of the gospel to invite other people into the family of God. And there's a very clear call in the scriptures for us in some way, shape, or form to advocate for and to be engaged in this ministry of loving on the widows and loving on the orphans. Uh, and so, gosh, I, I'd love any thoughts before we kind of transition into some storytelling? Okay, you nailed it. Go ahead. Okay. Well, hey, on the, on the heels of that, uh, I'd like to transition into a little bit of Q&A, okay? Um, Chris, Tyna, though you guys didn't jump through all of the legal hoops necessary to become licensed foster parents, gosh, the way that God kind of intertwined your home uh, and love for children kind of opened up the door for you to, well, to foster, right? Uh, and so what did that journey look like for you guys? Because we're not just talking about adoption. We're talking about fostering, uh, which really is all about reconciliation and the work of reunification to bring children that have been estranged from their families back to Together, but God kind of uh, opened up the door for you guys. So share a little bit of your story, please. Yeah, we were a house of refuge. Um, we were we already had five of our own, um, and so we were just got into student ministry and through our community and through the church. Um, whether children were staying, teenagers we jump, kind of jumped in. But I'll back up a little bit. Yeah. Like the first one we ever it was three. Was three she was years three old. years old. Yes. Yeah. And so. <laughs> and it it's not terrible twos. Payments. It's yeah. terrible twos and threes, and it was it was amazing. But she was our first. So our our relation our relationships with family members and our church community is kind of how we we got involved, um, and oh, it, it has been a journey. Yeah. So it yeah. was one day. One night. On the couch. One, month, <laughs> one week, one weekend. One month, or, one year, or forever. Yeah. For safety, they just needed, so we, we didn't go through any of the, like Cameron said, even the legal courts, like parents would call us up or a teenager was calling us up. Yeah. We need a place to stay. Yeah. So, I could think of a, a one mom who had five children and she was a single parent and her oldest was 12. And if you know anything about middle schoolers, that's kind of when they start to lose their minds a little. And uh, she needed she needed a break, and so he came in for two weeks, and we loved on him and sure, gave him some structure. Yeah, it was over Thanksgiving, yeah. and just um, had an opportunity to be a, a father figure in his life, and just and it's a relationship that we we keep with these these yeah. teenagers. We're, we're teenagers yeah. for the rest of their lives. It's, it goes on and on. You know, yeah. that has a name. That's that's called respite care. Yeah, uh, it, it's coming alongside families who need a breather who need a break mm -hmm. uh, to be able to love on these children for the express purpose of being a safe place for them so that they can go back with their tanks full of love. Yeah. Uh, hopefully to a place that's a little bit better because mom and or dad have had a chance to take a deep breath themselves, right? Yeah. Yeah. And in, in, in situations where we, we, you know, we encountered is our whole goal was to come alongside the family, 
to um, to bring to help them restore their relationship, to plug the children back into their home, and in most cases, that that is what happened, um, with the exception of our daughter um, Cheyenne, and so she we became her forever parents. <laughs> so, um, but if you had told us years ago um, that we would have been doing this, that we would be taking in uh, teenagers into our home, I would have laughed and said, me, uh, no, maybe Chris. <laughs> he was a kid magnet, and I was like, no, no, no. But Christ in us, that relationship with Jesus that compels us to love unconditionally I mean, we would ask ourselves the one question, is God asking us to take this child in? And we were always in agreement, whether that was no, and we did say no on occasions, um, and whether it was yes. And, you know, God does say no sometimes, right? <laughs> and so, and we know that when we took in Cheyenne, we said no to one, but it was because God was bringing us, we needed to say yes to Cheyenne so that we can become her forever parents. Yeah, and don't get us wrong, like, it, we had the, we walk into it with, early on, it was some of the same earlier fears, like, hey, how do we feed one more mountain? Yeah. Like, we're just trying to run the ones we have in the house yeah. right now. Lord, how do, how do we, we come with questions? How do we, how do we, how do we, how do we? You know, and there was just through prayer, and it just, our relationship, it just, mm -hmm. it, it caused you to bend a knee, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, yeah. get in your prayer closet, and find your church body around you, yeah. you know, that we're praying for you and being a part of your story with us. Um, and how, it helped. how important was it to have a network? And, oh, and maybe it wasn't what it could have been, because I want to hear about Bridging Hope and how you guys kind of network and bring resources and people together. But oh. so, so for us, um, we went into it knowing that there wasn't going to be financial support. We weren't fostering. Um, where some of those resources do come in. Um, we uh, just knew that, okay, God said, do this. We are in agreement to do it. And we trust, trusted him that he had the plan. And he did. And it was, it was so crazy to just watch God already put in place. We didn't know it at the time. But, you know, people that would hear our story that would then supply financial support <laughs> I mean, there was a, a couple that would just send in support just so that we can feed an extra mouth or clothe an extra child. Um, so the, although it wasn't, you know, the, your, your ministry that you have, um, the body, our body of um, our church body was very important to encouraging us emotionally, spiritually, Physically, even times where we needed a break and they would take <laughs> the child out of the home just for a weekend, just so that we can all kind of catch our breath because there are lots of challenges. Parenting is, is different. We thought, oh, we're going to parent this one like we did our other kids. They turned out pretty good, and that wasn't the case. We had to, there had to be flexibility, right? We, we come to that verse where um, second you know, yes. second Timothy, but there had to be flexibility and patience. So, yeah. So we learned that through this and second Timothy, and he starts in verse six, but, um, second Timothy one, seven is six. He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan the flame, the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands for God gave us in verse seven. He says, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, 
but of power and of love and of self-control. And like other, we definitely other, learned other, that. other versions say sound, of sound mind. And we needed the, sound mind. <laughs> the Christ in us <laughs> to give us the sound mind yeah. uh, for the journey that he had called us. And we knew that he called us on that journey. We were confident in that. And it was challenging, and it's been beautiful, and it's been chaotic, and it's been peaceful, and it's just been all the beautiful stages of life. Yeah, and it wasn't like we caught a, a you know, running train, you know, a moving train. It, there was an on-ramp. It kind of like we were talking earlier and sharing our story, like it was slowly, just gradually, you know, started with a three-year-old family, you know, family member's child to gradually kid for a weekend, a week, you know, you know times like that, two weeks, but it just... It blossomed to... So it came back around with the three-year-old, then became a 15-year-old and needed to be placed uh, with us temporarily. <laughs> so if I'm hearing you correctly, if anybody out there has a three-year-old or a 15-year-old and they need a break... <laughs> yeah. well, well, no, that's what we were saying. Is uh, We think that we've come full circle, but God has the last say in that. We, we believe... Every, there was a joke in the house. We had a spare room as the kids started to age out. We have grown adults, children... And uh, as they aged out, we were like, oh, we're going to make this room an office slash guest room. And every time we said that, God was like, no, you're not. These are things <laughs> and we he would not bring talk us. anymore. <laughs> we just don't even say it anymore. <laughs> so you guys said something about <clears throat> you didn't know what it was going to cost. You didn't know how God was going to meet those needs, but you were obedient to the call. Yeah. Uh, I remember hearing from you that you guys like were on the road to do a thing and you weren't sure how to find the resources. So let's transition over to you guys. Tell us a little bit about your story, because you guys did jump through some of the legal uh, kind of loop, not loopholes, legal hoops. There we go. Not loopholes. Uh, we do We've done that too. Right? <laughs> well, we're not recording this one yet. <laughs> Share some of your story, please. So, um, yeah, so we're the Campbells. We have, we have 12 children, three biological, and, uh, and yeah, it's, it's just been a slow process. Why don't you tell them what you did to our family, honey? Oh. <laughs> Quite early on, we weren't as good as them, or I wasn't, because I didn't always, like, we weren't always in agreement. We would get a phone call that there was, like, five children needing a home, and um, I would be like, let me ask Keith, and he'd be saying no, and I'm like, he said yes. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so that was not how to do it. Um, I finally got on, on, on board with God, but ours is very similar, too. Like you said, it was, um, I always tell Keith, it was kind of like the story about if you put a frog into boiling water, he'll hop right out. But if you put him in like a lukewarm, then you can turn it up on him. And I feel like that's what God did to Keith. He kind of turned up that water to a, to a boil. Um, when we were first married, after a couple months, Keith informed me that he didn't want to have any children. And so um, God does have a sense of humor, and we have 12. So, <laughs> so um, And ours started out, like you said, with, um, I, I look back at the evidence, the song that, that we sang, the evidence of his grace and mercy and love. And God did that slow on-ramp, slow boil for us um, when Keith was coaching when our sons were at elementary school. And he would, um, you know, after the game, sometimes the, the young people would want to come home with us and hang out, like with you guys. And it would be the weekend, and then it would be over holidays, and then it would be over the summer. And so we realized, like you said, through that, that there was just a need, um, uh, you know, for those kids. And then I was teaching um, at Lake Placid Elementary, and I met a young lady who was in the pre-K program at the time. And her grandma needed some some help, and so um, they were looking to, to find a home for her. So we came alongside of her dad, and like Cameron said, there's respite, and then there's also um, 
what we would now call safe families. We didn't know it was called safe families um, back then. Um, we just kind of realized now, looking back, that that's what we were doing for several um, young people that would come with us. Their families just needed months of um, one young man, his dad was in the hospital, he had brain cancer, and the mom couldn't get him to school, and so one of the teachers came to me at school and said, could you take him in, um, just because mom's getting in trouble, she loves her son, doesn't need DCF to step in, there isn't that kind of brokenness, but she doesn't have any family support. So we took this young man in and fell in love with him, um, and he stayed with us for about three months. And, um, and so that was just, like said, those, those situations where um, we came alongside families for respite, we came alongside families for um, like more of a safe family, unofficial safe family situation. Um, and then we were actually involved in a prison ministry where we took in babies whose mamas were in prison, and we would sometimes have them for a couple months, and then other times we would have them for a couple years, and the idea there was um, we would visit every month, or I would visit every month, um, the mother in jail or prison, and um, and take the child with me. And so there was a relationship I was building with the mother, and, and hopefully discipling and sharing God's love with her, and then also getting to love on her child. And when they got out of prison, then we would come alongside and help them. Like, what does it look like to go to doctor's appointments? What has your child been doing for the last months or years? And how do you, like, find a job? And, and, and they would hopefully go back. Like you were saying, they would get reunited. Um, our oldest um, daughter, who's 21, well, our oldest adopted daughter, who's 21, um, then we ended up adopting her. Um, she was supposed to go back and, and um, did not get reunited, but she's our forever. And so then from there, we took a break for a while. And so um, it, before we hit the road again, <laughs> running. Yes. So, so, so tell, share, I'm going to let her share most of this. And you're thinking, is he really on board? <laughs> I am, <laughs> I am totally on board, but because I, I, I said I said what I said uh, kind of tongue in cheek, because I do find though that I wasn't in the place where God had called me to beforehand, and I and I needed her example in my life. I needed her her driving. Th this is horrible, but I needed her driving the bus. And I think oftentimes that happens in a marriage relationship, and sometimes I, and because I, I know I know there are there are ladies that. That, I've, that I know that are ready to foster, ready to adopt, ready to jump into that, that fire. But us sometimes are, we, we're holding back because we're, we're afraid of what it's going to be. Um, tell them about, okay, so we head into, we head 150 miles into the Baja in Mexico to adopt a little girl named Pilar, and we end up with an Ethiopian boy named Caleb from Virginia. Because God has a sense of humor. <laughs> and like you're saying, things don't always end up. So we went to Mexico. Um, when we got there, um, we were told that they, they were not a part of the Hague. And if you adopt internationally, there's a Hague convention that um, Mexico had not been a part of. And so we learn when we get there and fall in love with this little girl that they are now a part of that. And so we'll have to come back in a couple months when they figure all that paperwork out. But we'll also, part of that would be that we would have to live there for at least 90 days, one of us, in Mexico. And we had four children at home, and Keith had a job, and, and so did I. And so we were trying to figure out what would that look like, God. So we get home, and I'm, I'm bummed, honestly, because I think this is what I really felt God was calling us to do. We were on the same page pretty much, I think, by then. And um, <laughs> we did go all the way to Mexico together. And so, um, so we're just trying to figure out. So we get home, and our, um, you know, back in the, so 20, you know, 13 years ago, the, the answering machines were the ones that they, they had the little tape and they lit up and, and you know, you have 19,000 messages or whatever. And so ours was doing that and, and we listened to it and there were um, numerous messages from a lady named Robin Steele. And she was with the Down Syndrome Association in Cincinnati. 
I had, because again, the evidence of God's love and grace and mercy and how he intertwines all this stuff. My sister who lives in Ohio, which is where I'm from originally, had called and said, I have friends who, um, they have a son with Down syndrome, they need some help, can you help me? And I, I, I teach her special needs, and so she figured maybe I would know some resources. So I started doing what I do and re, you know, researching and Googling and found the Down Syndrome Association in Cincinnati, made a call to Robin Steele, talked to her about some classes, some support groups, some resources from my sister's friend, and in the conversation said we were heading to Mexico soon and to adopt a little girl with Down syndrome, and she said, hey, what about getting on our list? There's 200 people on it. So, you know, and I'm thinking, well, that's safe. Like, Keith won't get mad at me for that because, you know, we're 201. I mean, oh, you didn't run that by him before? No, no, Sign yeah, us yeah. up. Okay, so I was still kind of not, not, not quite doing what I was supposed to do. But sure, sign us up. We're 201. How, you know, what are the chances we'll get to adopt? So when we get home, the messages are lighting up from Robin Steele, and there's a little boy in Virginia, and he, um, they have exhausted efforts to get him adopted. He's three months old, and he has Down syndrome. Would we be interested? I'm sure I talked to you about it first. but <laughs> so, so I called and said yes, and they said, well, do you want a picture or anything? I'm like, no, it's just a yes. Um, I feel like God shut that door, and he was opening this door. And so, um, so we travel. <laughs> this is great. We're really in how not to do it. Um, so we get in the car and drive to Virginia, and my sweet husband looks over at me as we're pulling in to Virginia after hours of alone time together talking and says, so how much is this adoption and where do we have the money? And I said, well, <laughs> we don't have the money and it's a lot. <laughs> so it was like over $10,000 and uh, we had no savings at the time. So um, I said, I had a plan that he should call some local churches and see if we could sleep on the floor. Cause like, honestly, like we didn't even have money for a hotel. That's how little money we had, like, for this adoption. And I just, I knew that, that Caleb was supposed to be ours, and God had, was preparing the road, and so that's where we were. So he kind of turned white, um, which I think, you know, was just what you thought. I'll about. be teaching a stewardship class next week <laughs> for you guys. <laughs> I should have taken a long time ago. And so in that, and we were talking about that earlier, um, so, you know, God did provide. He, and we had friends in our community and our church who knew what we were doing, who knew where we were, and, and knew how we lived, knew that, you know, it was, we, you know, didn't have a whole lot of money, and, and we didn't live like that, and so they kept offering to help pay for it, and, you know, give us some money or make a donation, and I kept saying, no, 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 God's got this, God's got this, he's going to provide, and so one of my friends then retold the story of, remember, Don, though, the guy, and the floods come in, and, you know, the boat comes, and he says, no, no, God's going to save me, and then the helicopter comes, and all these different things, and he's like, no, no, God's going to save me, and he drowns, and he gets to heaven and says, God, where were you? And he said, I sent the boat, the helicopter, and the, she said, that's who we are. We're, that's when we were talking about wraparound. That's, we're, you're the, we don't feel called to adopt, but we want to help you adopt, so let us help. And, um, and so that, it was hard because we don't really like to take help, especially financial, from people. And so we said yes to God and to them. And, of course, together with a few other people, they donated the exact amount of money that the agency was requiring before we could take our son out of state. Mm. And so and then when we got home, they threw us a big baby shower because at this point um, uh, there was like eight years difference between Aunt, um, Kia and Caleb. And so we had no baby stuff. That was all gone. 
And so um, they had a big baby shower, and the money that they donated, along with all the other gifts and other stuff, was within $100 of exactly what we needed, $100 over, of course, not under, um, to finalize the adoption and pay the lawyers and all the fees. And so ours have not been through the state. Ours have all been private adoptions. Um, and so he's always, we've had international adoptions that have costed over $30,000, cost, not costed, sorry, cost over $30,000. And God, through fundraisers and selling stuff and, and um, working hard and extra jobs Keith would take um, and, and people sewing in again, wrapping around and saying, you know, we, we don't feel called to adopt, but we want to help you. They have helped those because we've, we've never, so when people say we couldn't afford it, I think, well, we still can't afford it, um, you know, nine, nine kids later. So, so that was our Caleb story of how we went and totally trusted out in faith and blind, blind faith. So God, as he often does, provides where he guides uh, he meets the needs uh, faithfully according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Uh, we're, we're not, I don't believe that every single person is called to foster and adopt, uh, but I do believe that in some way, shape, or form, God calls us to do something. Amen. You, had, you had a really good phrase uh, while we were prepping over the last month. You, you said, we don't know what everyone's something is, but there is find a something. something. Find, find, find your, your something. something. Uh, and so you started, you started Bridge of Hope. What is, what is that down at South Oak? So for, for Keith and I, because we walked through this and we have seen, like you said, the respite, we have provided respite for other people. We have, um, we have had a great community and family support financially, like you said, emotionally through prayer, come alongside of us once, once we started. And uh, it wasn't always that way. So when we first you know, started with, with Kia, we didn't have that. And then with Caleb, we did. And then with our other children, slowly, we had more and more support. So we realized how important it was. So the Bridging Hope... Um, ministry is it comes we have a support um, group we call it connect group now which is for kinship care which is um, you know aunts uncles um, grandmas grandpas taking care of, of relatives children so there's a support group for that there's also a support group for adoptive and foster families um, who um, the parents come in and, and we just connect and support each other um, we do that monthly the Bridging Hope House is a, um, started out as just a closet um, to help um, if you are fostering or adopting, especially fostering, and you get a call at 10 o'clock at night um, for a one-year-old, and you don't have a crib or a playpen or a high chair or anything like that because your ch oldest might be 12 or, or youngest might be 12. And so we are there to help you fill that need, those urgent needs. So if you have clothes, um, we have all kinds of furniture and clothes, and we'll go out and get diapers. So the Bridging Hope House um, turned from a closet into a whole house where we try to help meet those needs um, for the foster and adoption um, families as they come up, um, especially emergent. And then we have a wraparound care. And our wraparound care just changed a little bit. Um, our family groups used to do it. And now we do it um, based on a, a, a program that we saw where we have a team leader and then we have team players. And now we're actually the key club at Lake Placid is helping us with mentorship. And so our team leader will connect with our foster family um, ask them how we can pray for them, ask them what their needs might be. Then they communicate to the team players who there's usually four players on a team that one, you know, takes um, each takes a week and then they wrap around that person that week. So if you have a doctor's appointment coming up and you need help or your child's sick and you need medicine, then, then your team players will help fill those gaps. Or if you need, you know, you need a break, you need a night out or you need um, you know, just prayer. Then um, sometimes it's a meal or laundry where, where you know put the laundry basket out on the front porch and, and one of the team players will come get the laundry, take it home, do it, bring it back folded, leave it on your porch. So there are just myriad ways that, Absolutely. that folks who may not be called to opening up their home 
for children's and broken families can really come alongside and support Absolutely. folks. Absolutely. Yeah, and the Key Club now, which is awesome, they, those, those, um, some of the members of the Key Club started helping out on a Wednesday night for our um, support groups. They came and helped with babysitting. So from that, God used that to, to bloom a love in them for um, these children who are, are in this, and they wanted to do more. And so I, I said, hey, that's great, because God put on our heart that we need to do the next step of this um, program to do mentorship. So they have now met with me a couple times, and they're wanting to, not just the Key Club, but other members of the, of the school, want to start going into the homes of our foster families and mentoring these, these young people. And, and while the family's still there, but mom could maybe be cooking while they do homework with one of the kids, or they could you know, take them out and play ball or just you know, teach them how to crochet or whatever it is, but they'll be in the home with them and just be like a big brother, big sister almost kind of thing, where they come alongside and love on the kids while the, while the family's still there and they're all a unit but that they can come alongside and love on them and be an extra support yeah. and love in their, in their life. So that's an exciting, neat next step for us. And I don't know there's a greater picture than uh, the people of God loving families who need the love of God uh, and stepping in to meet tangible needs, physical needs, spiritual and emotional needs. Giving God, when was your last date night? Okay, they don't remember. So let's. No, it was just, no, a, okay. just a couple of days. Today, no, it was just, yeah, it was, yeah. <laughs> right now, we went to this dinner. morning. We're we on it. Two days ago. Yeah, we went to dinner two days ago. Amen. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, hey, yeah. I'll tell you what. We're we're we're, we're running out of time. Uh, l let me read you just a couple of statistics from October uh, of this past year, um, and these are just some foster and adoption stats. Uh, this is this is home for us. Uh, this is from Marissa, actually. Uh, she sent this to Pastor Dustin. Uh, Heartland for Children is currently serving 2,207 children and young adults in our local child welfare system. We're talking Polk, Hardy, and Highlands counties. Of that number, 617 children are in a foster bed. And of that number, 118 of those children are from Highlands County. Of that number, 88 of those children are placed outside of Highlands County because there aren't enough foster homes in their own community to bring them back here. We currently have 17 foster homes in Highlands County. Of that number, five are in Lake Placid. Uh, and according to our county's needs, the greatest need is for homes for teens and sibling groups. Uh, there are currently 84 children placed in residential group care beds, and eight of those are ready to step down right now because of the fear people have about teens and sibling groups. Uh, right now, locally, we have 81 separated sibling groups brothers and sisters who can't be with each other just because there's not enough beds. Uh, and again, this isn't to pull on your heartstrings, but this is to ask you uh, as the people of God to ask God, okay, well, what's, what's my something? Uh, and, and to answer that question, hopefully, uh, we've got a couple of organizations out in the breezeway, out in the foyer as you leave. Uh, One Hope United, uh, which is a local um, a state government agency that handles and steps into the story when Department of Children and Families needs to step into the story. And they partner with lots of different organizations, uh, but are the licensing agent for getting children in crisis scenarios into safe places, safe families, and foster homes. Uh, also, Choices Pregnancy Care Center, which we've talked a lot about. We're so passionate about Choices Ministry Center, so please get some information, as well as one more Child, uh, which is a ministry of the Florida Baptist Children's Home in Lakeland, uh, and they've got lots of information on adoption, but we have some of their folks here to talk about fostering cares, wraparound care as well. Uh, and so here's the deal, folks. Th thank you, one, for sitting through this conversation, um, uh, but two, 
ask the Lord what it might look like. Uh, Keith and Dawn are going to be out uh, in the breezeway as well. If you wanted to ask them some questions about maybe bridging hope, Chris and Tyne are going to be out there as well so that you guys can get to hear a little bit more of their story. Uh, but more than anything, this is about a slow on-ramp of really telling God, hey, we're, we're available to love the people of God, uh, and especially those who are most vulnerable among us. Uh, Jesus makes it really clear uh, that a ministry to little ones is so near and dear to his heart. Uh, these are the least of these that he talks about when we ask God to show us how to care for the people of God, specifically those who are orphaned, those who are homeless, those who uh, aren't in a safe place at their homes. Uh, and so, uh, Chris, I'm going to ask if you would kind of close us in prayer. Uh, and again, if you have questions, that's good. That's the right next step. We hope you'll hang around out in the foyer area, ask some questions at the tables, and if nothing else, uh, invite the Holy Spirit to ask you maybe what's my or our something uh, along the lines of this conversation. Pastor Chris. Let us pray. Father, that this morning that we do believe that you are sovereign and you are in control. And Father, this message this morning is that's flowed off of this stage, Lord, that as it fell onto the ears and the hearts and the minds of our church family, Father, not that it fell on deaf ears, but our stories today were not about the Campbells and the Taylors, but about the story of you that you're telling through our lives. Today, not eyes are on us, but eyes are on you. And Father, for our widows and for our orphans, for those that are helpless and defense, defenseless. And Lord, whatever your, there's something is, whatever you are sitting out there today, what is my something? May the Lord speak that clearly to you. May your ears and hearts be open to what God is telling you this morning. May your yeses be yeses and noes be noes. Father, be uh, with us as we continue your worship today. 